Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Yvette Busico, the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Army for Manpower Reserve Affairs. Uh, Yvette, thanks so much for taking the time to join me. It's a pleasure, Mr. Miller. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, today we're talking about something a little different. It's not our normal technology, but I'm sure we will get to the technology today because everything has technology in it. But we're going to talk about the Army's civilian recruitment strategy, education, training, workforce, everything that really matters to making things happen, to meeting mission goals. So I'm going to start right there. Uh, recruitment is, is a big focus area. I heard Ms. Schaefer talk at the AUSA event, and she talked about onboarding and recruitment and all these interesting things and training. So let's start right there at the beginning. Let's talk a little bit about the Army's recruitment strategy, civilian workers. What can you tell us? First, I, I wanted to thank you for the opportunity to highlight the amazing work that our civilian employees undertake every day. A lot of people don't even know that you can be a civilian in the Army. They don't think about it that way. And so it's incredibly important for me to take this opportunity to shine a light on their incredibly important work. We have a workforce of more than a quarter million folks that they're doing all different kinds of things. We have people who are research scientists at the Army Research Lab. We have people who are veterinary scientists taking care of the horses that pull the caissons um, for our fallen soldiers. We have people that are electricians and who are construction workers and inspecting civil works. So we're doing a ton of things and their work is, is largely unsung. And to your um, point about recruiting, we're actively recruiting for all those folks. We have more than 500 occupational specialties that we need civilians to fill. Civilians have an important role in enabling the warfighter. As everybody probably knows, soldiers move around an awful lot and civilians provide continuity, right? Those functions need somebody in place. They need experts in place to Make sure everybody knows what that organization is supposed to do. Have that institutional knowledge. Well, we did this this way 10 years ago, and this is, you know, we learned that lesson. So let's not do that again. When the new military leader comes on board, the civilians just do a ton of work. And it is really important to bring the people with the right skills and the right motivation into the force. So how are we doing that recruiting? Well, we have not always been as active as we are now in recruiting our civilian workforce. It's been more of a passive model where we post things on USA Jobs and hope for the best. A lot of times it was word of mouth. It was people that knew that they could be Army civilians from having been in the force themselves. And we recognize that there is a lot of talent out there in the country that we need to be able to tap into. We need to push out the message that there are opportunities as an Army civilian, and they should take advantage of those opportunities. And our recruiting message has modified from, hey, you need to come in and, and serve for 30 years as an Army civilian. Um, that's pretty daunting to our younger workforce. We are now adopting, and um, Dr. Schaefer has coined this term, the jungle gym model, right, where people come in, they want to do three years as a civilian and jump to something else, go to the private sector for a couple of years, and then come back in, and then go back out, and maybe start a business, and they could do all different kinds of things. We're telling people that civilian service should be a part of an overarching career path. Um, it's an enabling thing. It's not, it's not an off-ramp. And that we have uh, amazing 
career and training um, opportunities for them to build skills that are that are just harder to get sometimes harder to fight for um, than in the private sector. Appreciate the idea here of post and hope. I've heard post and pray sometimes, but many, many times when I've talked to folks like yourself, there's never a lack of people of interest. It's the best interest getting the best qualified people. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that, that changing uh, recruitment strategy. You mentioned post and hope no more. What are you doing to post and recruit the best, the brightest and show people that, Hey, you can come jump on the jungle gym, climb those bars, jump off, come back, go to the swing, come back to the jungle gym. How are you doing that? So in addition to things like this, taking the opportunity to engage with the press and the media and spread the word, we're doing things besides just posting on USA Jobs, right? We have revamped GoArmy.com, which is the same place you'd go in order to get recruited for the military, for the Guard or Reserve. We have a civilian tab on there. So if people are, are propensed and they're saying, hey, you know what, maybe um, serving a uniform doesn't sound like the right fit for me. Letting them know that there are civilian opportunities out there right on GoArmy.com is, is one of the, the key strategies that we have. People who are interested already and know about the Army, letting them know about the breadth of opportunities for them to serve. Another thing that we're doing is expanding our online footprint, right? So instead of just USA Jobs, which is still the portal that people are going to use to apply, they can go to LinkedIn. And we are taking advantage of going to places where the people are. We are posting our jobs on LinkedIn and platforms like Yellow in order to reach out to that cohort that doesn't necessarily know, hey, I can apply uh, to an an army job. And we're also more active in the live space. We are going to career fairs in mass and we are offering on the jobs offers and like on the spot job offers for, for folks. We've given offers at Black Engineer of the Year Awards, uh, some 70 job offers there. We are going to career fairs and we are updating our procedures to try and get the security clearance process going as well. So we're really trying to make those jobs not only visible, but also accessible. We know that people are sometimes intimidated by what they imagine might be long times to hire, et cetera. And so we're also trying to demystify that process by giving people those on the spot job offers and letting them know, being more communicative about how long it takes to hire. And also we're working to shrink the time to hire times so that people, you know, we can compete more effectively in getting that talent. How big of a change was it for the army to do that on the spot job offers? Was this something that had been done on occasion once or twice before, but really you are, you all have said, Hey, this is really the best a best approach or a best practice? Or is this something you all have been doing all along, but you're being more active, more, if you will, you're communicating more that you can and are doing it? I think we've done it all along. I don't know if it was as coordinated or intentional as it is right now. It's now part of our strategy to lean forward and meet people where they are. I've seen that same thing with other folks, other agencies. I know the CIO Council is an example, has done some of the same. Uh, let's have a career fair and make some job offers. I, I know folks in the cybersecurity world, at, for instance, at DHS and CISA, I'm sure the military services have done the same thing. The Part of this is the on-jobs offers is the reducing the time to hire. And another thing you mentioned, are there approaches you're taking to say, how can we reduce that time to hire? Because 
I think every agency faces that same challenge. And sometimes it's just the way that it is. And people go, they, they throw their hands up and say, I don't know, that's just the way it is in government. And that it doesn't have to be is what we've seen. Reducing time to hire is Secretary of Defense's priority, the Secretary of the Army's priority, it's Dr. Schaefer's priority, it's our um, Deputy Assistant Secretary for um, Civilian Personnel's priority. That's one of the main things that people say, hey, this might deter me from even putting my application in. And we're getting after it, right? So on average, we have a 93-day time to hire, um, which if you're looking at our career fields, is not all that far outside the norm. Um, but right before this job, I worked in tech. Um, it took me about three months on average for some of these highly skilled jobs. It's, it's not um, too strange. And we have different skill sets that we're recruiting for. And I, I think there is a little bit higher tolerance. One of the things that we're changing is how we communicate and how we manage expectations, right? So my own experience in tech, I had a warm body that I could send an email to and say, hey, where's my package? Like, what stage am I in? Am I still under consideration? I had an experience when I applied to USA Jobs years and years ago where I, I sent my resume in and then like eight months later, I got a message back that I wasn't going to be hired, right? So of course, by that time I had a new job, I'd completely forgotten about it. And obviously I still remember it. I was very annoyed by that. And that's something that that is not an uncommon experience for the past. I would challenge everybody to give us another chance, right? I know that our team has been working directly with USA Jobs in order to improve customer experience. And one of the things that Army has done is we've stood up the Army Civilian Career Management Activity, which we have organized around our strategy. One of the things that we're doing is giving some structure to uh, having those touch points with candidates so that they we, we, we keep them warm. We make sure that they know that they're valued, that we're interested in considering them. And we are at the very least sending automated notices to say, okay, well, you've hit this, this gate right? You, we've accepted your application. It's currently being considered. You're being considered for an interview. Here's the job offer. So that people know and have some sort of certainty around where they stand in the application process. So that's, that's one thing that we're doing. We're responding to the feedback that we received from the field, and we're improving the, the applicant experience. I think that's a common thing I hear from a lot of agencies is how can we improve that applicant experience? I know technology probably plays a key role in that. And I know that you mentioned the, the civilian strategy. So we're going to get to that in a second. But Yvette, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest is Yvette Bosico, the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Army for Manpower Reserve Affairs. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO, Army Workforce Modernization, sponsored by Cornerstone on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO, Army Workforce Modernization, sponsored by Cornerstone on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Yvette Bosico, the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Army for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. Yvette, last segment, we talked about your strategy, why Army civilian is a good place for a lot of people to start to consider. I love this idea of, of the jungle gym, where get on, climb a few bars, get off, come back. And you mentioned this idea of improving the time to hire, really cutting down that 93 days. You also mentioned this idea of an Army civilian career management activity. It includes a strategy. Let's just start there. Talk a little bit about what that strategy looks like. How's that career management activity really coming into its own over the next year or more? 
we're really proud. Um, it stood up in uh, ACMA is the because you can't have a military conversation without does an acronym. So ACMA stood up in 2020. And what it offers is just more deliberate management. Those 500 occupations that I mentioned before are very diverse. We have bucketed them into 11 career fields. And those 11 career fields have a career field manager. And the idea is they're, you know, they're loosely related. And it provides just more deliberate management of people that are entering into, into civilian service, right? So we're we're going to talk a little bit about education and training, upskilling, reskilling. ACMA really enables that, right? Makes it so that the information that somebody needs in order to manage their career is easily accessible. So in addition to their supervisor, they'll have an HR specialist that they can reference while, okay, I'm a GS5 and I'm interested in becoming a GS7, or I'm a GS15 and I want to know how to become an SES. Well, it can feel overwhelming. And how how are we providing resources to people so that it seems and is more accessible to them. So ACMA is also trying to improve our unity of effort and our efficiency and our effectiveness, right? So we have more of an enterprise look. Before, things used to be a little bit more fragmented, um, and there wasn't a lot of ability for senior leaders, especially, to get those key insights that we needed from our workforce. And so ACMA is really enabling us to get our arms around the civilian talent management at the enterprise level and manage the careers that we need heading into Army 2040. One of the things you mentioned is get your arms around the civilian talent management piece, and, and that's difficult for a place, 250,000 civilians. Have you learned anything? Has anything been surprising over the last couple of years as you've started to look at the data, as you started to parse through it? Do you, do you at the Army have a big retirement wave like everybody else? Are you younger? Are you older? Are you taller? Are you shorter? Tell me some of the trends you've seen. I would love to. It's just, it's it's a lot, right? So again, 500 career specialties. It's not like we're Amazon, right? Where most, where you're kind of a warehouse worker, you're kind of a software engineer, and there's a, there's a couple of buckets. It's really, really broad spectrum, right? We have our wage grade employees that are doing, you know, hands-on work. We have our scientists, we have our lawyers, and all of those kind of are managed in a slightly different way. What we are working on doing is just making sure that we're building a force where people feel comfortable jumping onto whatever monkey bar is appropriate in their career path, right? We have a lot of internship programs that we're really proud of at every level. For current students, we have a recent grad program. We have the Presidential Management Fellows Program for people with advanced degrees, and we have McCain Fellows for people to come in. And those internship programs, those interns are doing real work. Um, if if you'll indulge me, um, one of our uh, recent interns who just served in our office was responsible for the pregnancy postpartum parenthood policy, the P3 policy that we published last year, which revolutionized the experience for new parents in the force. We know that we recruit the soldier and retain the family, and we had some gaps. We were not competitive with people who were making decisions based on how much time they had to bond with their with their new family member. A McCain fellow, right, a GS10, wrote the policy. She ran around and collected the vignettes um, and, and drafted that policy for the Secretary of the Army to sign. And 
of all of the policies that we that we work every day, that's the one I get the most feedback when I travel around the force, when I go to installations. When I went on a trip with her and I said, she's the one who wrote the P3 policy, people spontaneously started clapping. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. That's the kind of opportunity that you get as, as an Army intern. I know senior leaders who are um, assistant secretaries of the Army who started off in the Army internship program. Um, you get real skills at an entry level. We have the recent grad program. So college students are, are hungry for, <laughs> for an opportunity. We're inviting people to come in and experience what it's like and giving them that exposure to to service and we want them to to stay and continue to contribute or be from the army and say well you know what i'm an army professional and that's where i learned this skill set that's where i learned these leadership skills um, that's part of our value proposition that we really want people to understand i think that's a important distinction that these internship programs are not just, oh, I get to fill out paperwork or put data in a database, that this is this is important work because there's important roles to fill. You all want to show people what it's like to work in the Army as an Army civilian because they're your best ambassadors to get more people in, I'm sure. A hundred percent. And, you know, I, I'll tell another story about an intern and I hope I don't get fired because this is a defense fellow. This was when I worked in OSD, but same concept, right? We had a young lady who was a presidential management fellow, came in, you know, was a, was a, a an undergrad at Georgia Tech. By the end of her internship, she was with us for a summer. By the end of her internship, she had done so well that all four women in that section signed her letter of recommendation to Georgetown Law. And she went on um, and now she's an FBI lawyer. And like that's a real that's a real person that I'm proud to have been a part of of her career. And and that internship program, I would I would dare say, launched her into the next level of, of her professional development. And I could tell stories all day about that. We really enable people to reach that next higher level of potential uh, and take those skills for life, either staying in Army civilian service or going to OSD or a different agency or, or leaving for the private sector, as we mentioned in that jungle gym model. That's the one big change I've seen over the last, I would say, three to five years, maybe a little bit longer, where it's this idea that you don't need to hold your person close to them, right? It's it's the same, I'll make a data center, right? You said we had to watch the blinking lights in the data center. Now we've all moved to the cloud. We don't need to watch that. We can't watch the cloud blinking lights. I think with personnel, it's the same thing. If you can train someone and give them that great experience and they take it to the FBI, hey, we all win. It's not like, oh, Army lost and FBI won. It's it's making us all better. Is that a change in that kind of the HR mindset? I know this is a bigger issue and and, but is that a change you've seen, in, whether in the Army or whether more broadly across the, when you talk to other folks across DOD or the government? I would say so. I think that we're changing a lot generally with Army recruitment, right? Be all you can be isn't just a tagline, right? We really want, A, for people to unlock their own possibilities, to unlock their potential. And also for us, we want to see people come in and out, right? So. I'm here. I, I came from private industry. I came from tech and I have some ideas that are not necessarily like the way that the army has always done everything. And they, at this level, I think there's a reason that I'm here that 
there is a different perspective that I'm bringing in. And we're making, we're enabling other folks to come in at different levels in order to bring that expertise in from the outside. We are also exporting those skills, as I, as I mentioned. I really want MNRA to be a great place to be from. I really want the Army to be a, a great place to be from. You know, as a, a, a JAG, for example, I know that those folk are extremely sought after in the private sector because you know that they're going to show up on time, they're going to be professional, they're going to be prepared. There's a reason that those skills are desirable. And we know that we are creating a civilian workforce that has a very similar core competency. Dr. Schaefer spoke at AUSA about um, how we are leveling up our supervisor management training. We know from the research that people quit supervisors. They don't necessarily quit organizations, right? They'll they'll maybe like the job, but if they're if they're not competently managed, then they they might vote with their feet. And so we we're responsive to that. We set up a more formal training program that people can access so that they can not a, a lot of mistakes are made out of, out of ignorance or lack of experience. We are trying to make those skills accessible to folk to develop and do what they want with them. You mentioned lawyers, you mentioned policy people. There's a lot of uh, places to go next. And we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to jump into some of those skill sets you are recruiting for, some of those skill sets you are in need of. But first, as I said, we'll take a quick break. My guest today is Yvette Busico. The Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Army for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO Army Workforce Modernization, sponsored by Cornerstone on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO Army Workforce Modernization, sponsored by Cornerstone on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Yvette Busico, the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Army for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. Yvette, last uh, segment, we were talking about some of those ways the Army civilian management activities uh, helping the civilians really think about their future. Hey, if you're a five, you want to be a seven, how to get there. If you're a 15 and want to be an SES, how, how, how can we help you get there? And then you mentioned a couple different areas you're recruiting. Like you mentioned a, a, a lawyer. I'm sure there's policy folks. Let's talk a little bit about those skill sets you're really looking at, technical skill sets, technology-based skill sets, driving innovation, what are some of those areas you say, hey, we'd love to have a bunch of those types of people? One of the things that Dr. Schaefer and MNRA are focused on is developing Army 2040. We have a pacing threat. We need to um, bring skills into the Army that we don't necessarily know exactly quite what they're going to be doing in the future, but we know that we are going to, to need those people um, in order to meet that threat. So we're talking about our data scientists. We're talking about our AI specialists. We're talking about you know, people who are experts in machine learning. Um, how are we going to enable those weapon systems that we're going to need to deploy? How are we going to uh, ensure that the capabilities that we are required to deliver on the war fight, uh, um, in the war fight are available for our combatant commanders? Um, and so we're thinking ahead. And we, we know that these people are going to be part of that fight, and we know that they're going to be in high demand. So what are the things that we're doing? Well, we're working on getting after that pipeline, right? We have a pilot program with Carnegie Mellon, for example, where we are um, sending folks to get master's degrees in developing those skill sets and bringing them on board. We are 
standing up our prevention workforce and there's a need for data scientists to analyze our soldier programs to make sure that they're delivering what we need in order to meet the strategic objectives to reduce harmful behaviors in the force, right? And so they're going to be used in, in ways that are, are not necessarily what they would be doing in the private sector, but that's kind of what makes it so exciting, right? We have a whole cyber workforce that we have just transitioned to the cyber accepted service. Um, and so some of those jobs are going to be white hat hackers, or you're going to be able to do offensive cyber. The only place that you can do legal offensive cyber operations is in the military. And so we want those folks to come um, on board. We're working on cultivating the pipeline. We're working on being competitive um, so that people want to move over and have lateral shifts and also move up the up the management ranks. Are there certain ways you've changed the way you recruit these in-demand people? Everybody's hiring for AI. Everybody wants cyber workers. When you go back to the beginning of our conversation, you talk about your recruitment strategy. Have you rethought or said, hey, for this type of job, this occupation, this innovation, we have to do things differently? And anything I was going to ask you when you mentioned your private sector experience, anything you'd even want to comment on that you brought from your private sector experience and, and applied it in some way, shape or form to the Army? Well, absolutely. Um, we know that we're competing with everybody. And one of the things that we're doing is doing a better job of communicating our value proposition, um, especially with the innovation workforce, talking about the uniqueness of the mission is front and center, right? So you can go and be a data scientist um, at one of the big tech companies or a smaller tech company, and you're going to be doing kind of this similar work. I think that we offer not only the ability to do unique mission sets, right, where you are enabling the warfighter on the field, but you're also in an organization that offers a sense of purpose. There's money and there's always, okay, well, how you want to have that conversation. How much is the private sector paying? Blah, 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 blah. Well, money isn't everything, right? There, there are lots of people that I could introduce you if I walked you around this building um, who could probably make more money elsewhere, but that's not why they're here. This job is amazing. Getting up in service of the American people and the American soldier, that's incredible work. And going home and saying, I did something good in service of my country. I, I know I've got some American flags back there and I sound, you know, I, 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 I might sound a little bit corny, but it's the truth. That's what I carry around in my heart. And I'm not in any way unique. We need to do a better job of communicating that value proposition and some of those intangible benefits that people when they get here, they stay uh, and they, they, they like working here. And we think that that mission set is, is something that sets us apart from the competition and makes us an attractive and competitive um, employer. I think that's something the government has always done really well is having that sense of purpose that it's bigger than just the money or bigger than just the and the the end result always made more uh, was was more important. So so I appreciate you you highlighting that. And it doesn't sound corny. I think when the more people I talk to, whether like yourself, who you know has dipped in and dipped out, or people who spend their entire career in government, this is what drives them each each day, each month, each year. Uh, I, I want to go back to something you said about uh, Carnegie Mellon and the pilot program for the master's degree. That is a key. It sounds like a key piece to a bigger uh, strategy you are laying out there about education, training, upskilling, reskilling. Talk a little bit about that strategy. If you have more details on the Carnegie Mellon pilot, I'd love to hear it. But otherwise, you can just talk more broadly about how are you? How are things like that really driving the the, the way the Army is really helping to ensure civilians have those skills today, tomorrow, in the future? 
Um, thanks for that. That's another part of the benefits package that the government is able to offer, right? We're being very intentional about those um, those training opportunities that people, you know, are are coming to government in order to learn. You you do have exposure um, and the ability to get new certifications. Um, you know, you're able to get leadership and management training that isn't always available in the private sector and at every echelon, right? So you come in as that GS five. And you're going to get your your um, your foundational training. What's your skill set going to be? Um, you level up, and you're going to get you know as a GS 11, 12. You're going to start getting um, exposure to um, other opportunities for you to get um, deeper um, foundational training, and also start to get that supervisor training um, as you move into those positions. Um, we have a plethora of of opportunities for our SESs. Right, you are able. You can go to Army War College if you want to um, as a senior executive. We have our Defense Senior Leader Development Program. We have a number of different um, opportunities for people to go um, into formal training, but we also have um, 250,000 licenses for people to access the 10,000 courses on Udemy. So I can go if I'm, you know, if I am so motivated, I can go out and get that, um, get that uh, additional skill set um, doing self-paced learning. So what we're trying to do is provide a mix of formal training, informal kind of self-delivered um, training, um, and making sure that people are aware of those opportunities and um, and uh, enable them to, um, to be all they can be. I think over the last few years, we've really <laughs> seen a change in that informal training, the just-in-time training. Has that been something the Army has said, hey, we, we need to have more, better, different types of courses, because we can't get everyone, we saw that during the pandemic, to show up at this building at this time. And, and sometimes it's easier to say, hey, I, I need to learn this thing about acquisition. Let me watch my course right this moment versus, did we talk about that a year ago in my class? I'm sure you, you hear that all the time. Absolutely. So we, so in addition, right, uh, I, given the opportunity to, to, to hit the remainder of uh, my, of my list on this, right, we, we made Army Ignited available to civilians. That's, that was a major recruiting um, tool for, um, for some of our uniforms. Um, and now it's available for, uh, for civilians as well. So what we're doing is we are, we are recognizing that people are not just, you know, one skill uh, number on a, on a, on a, you know, on a organizational chart, right? They're, 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 they've got different um, uh, interests. They've got different skill sets. Um, they, they can start off coded as, um, as one thing and migrate to being something else. Um, I'd love to tell you a story about uh, a, a, a um, an ACMA professional that we have today started off as an army logistician. Right, like army army loggy. Um, we do the best logis logistics in the world. Okay, so he was successful at that. Um, came over and did a um, a State Department internship and went to Cote d'Ivoire, uh, and then came back uh, and and um, got hired at ACMA to be an HR specialist. Right, and so if I kind of looked at that person and said, "Oh, you're a logistician. The only thing you can do is logistics," then we probably would have let off that talent. Um, we are really 
thinking about people in a holistic sense. Um, we're taking people and putting them in that Carnegie Mellon program who don't necessarily have that skill. The point is we're sending them there to acquire those skills. Um, and we are enabling people to learn at their own pace, right? So some people do better virtually, some people do better um, uh, in person, some people benefit from a hybrid model. What our job is to, is to make all of those um, formats uh, accessible to our workforce and enable them to take advantage of those opportunities. And I think the more you can open those opportunities up, whether again, through technology or through just awareness, the better folks are more, uh, the better they are, the more excited they are to, to stay a little bit longer. And again, that'd be 30 years, but but training someone, getting them going, we all know it takes a couple of years. And then you want a couple of years of really solid work where they get better, better, and better. So you don't want people jumping after a year and a half or two years. You want them jumping after maybe three or five or seven years and then coming back. So so I think that those are all good things. And I I just uh, I saw Army Ignited was open civilians in August. So uh, it's fairly recent. So so that's uh, it's a good sign. Yvette, let's uh, take a quick break. We come back. We'll, we'll uh, finish up our conversation. My guest today is Yvette Busico the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Army for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO, Army Workforce Modernization, sponsored by Cornerstone on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, Army Workforce Modernization, sponsored by Cornerstone on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Yvette Busico, the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Army for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. Yvette, we were talking about some of the skill sets you're looking to hire. We were talking about some of the areas uh, of opportunity. One of the things that comes up, I think, time and again, when we t- when I talk to most agencies, is this idea of, well, how do you know what you need, right? Who's retiring? Who's leaving? Where the attrition rates are really hitting you hardest? So let's talk a little data and how are you all analyzing what the current civilian workforce looks like, what their training needs are, what their training needs will be in the future? That's one of the um, the um, the jobs of the Civilian Human Resources Agency, right? So, and and ACMA is underneath uh, Chara. There we go. A two for, two for um, acronyms. Um, so we do look at those trends. We look at the vacancies that we have to fill, but we also need to flex, right? So we are we will um, deprecate. Uh, career fields or or functions that we're we don't need in favor of standing up ones that we do, uh, and we do that um, through a deliberative process. Um, first, we have our gap analysis, so we look at what we need out there. Um, I've highlighted our needs in the innovation workforce, and so if you're in STEM, please do apply. Um, but we have a variety of different opportunities. We just stood up our Office of Special Trial Council. Um, we are re, um, we've reorganized CID um, in order to um, beef up our investigatory functions. So if you are, you know, interested in law enforcement, we have a spot for you. Um, our prevention workforce, we have tremendous need, and those um, those skill sets are um, are are ones that we're going to need to develop. Right, um, there, this is we're innovating in the prevention space, and we are developing um, the folks that we need um, as they get on the job. So. Um, we that's that's part of our gap analysis. What is it that we need? What is it that we're missing? Um, and then we uh, go through a competency models process, right? So, what what um, skill set do we have in the force? Um, we need a combination of bringing people in um, through the pipeline, through the various pipelines. I, I mentioned that we have some agreements with uh, with um, some 
uh, uh, higher education um, institutions. We have our internship programs. Um, also, we can train people, we can upskill or reskill them from inside the force. Um, we're experiencing this with our um, prevention workforce, right? A lot of people who are part of our response force are interested in those prevention workforce roles. And so they're taking those experiences and moving over into um, handling and tackling um, the prevention issue in the upstream. Um, but they're using their knowledge from having been in the response force and, and using that in order to um, achieve achieve the goals of their of their new mission. Um, so we look at what we need. We run the competency modeling and say, okay, well, we're going to need to recruit this number. We're going to um, upskill and reskill. And then we go out and do it, right? Um, we are, we've discussed at length a lot of the work that we're doing in the recruiting space, um, making sure that people have awareness. Um, but that's internal and external. We need to make sure that people know that there are opportunities for them to lateral over, that they can jungle gym um, if they're already part of the civilian workforce and and change uh, change careers uh, effectively. That idea of lateraling, lateraling over, reskilling, upskilling, it, it gets less discussion these days than maybe it once did. What are some of those things you're seeing? Hey, if you're really competent in problem solving, you may be good at in cyber as well, or you're really competent in, in logistics, you may be good in something else. Are, are you, are you, how are you promoting that? What are some of those things that, that you're seeing uh, around this idea of reskilling and upskilling? Absolutely. And you know what, to be honest, I've been a beneficiary of people who are spotting my own potential, right? HR people who are like, oh, well, you're a lawyer, so maybe you could do this policy job. Um, we, when we kicked off JROTC Cyber, right, when we're, when we um, kicked off the pilot that was uh, designed around bringing in um, high schoolers and giving them um, cyber uh, security training and, and, and some awareness uh, and, and giving them some skills that they could use, whether in the Army or um, elsewhere. Um, what we talked about um, in, in developing the cyber workforce is the fact that accountants make exceptional cyber warriors. And you're just kind of like, that's really surprising. There are HR professionals that think about these linkages every day. So not only are people going to self-identify like that um, ACMA professional that I mentioned who said, hey, you know, it'd be really cool to go to Cote d'Ivoire and do a career broadening thing. Um, but also uh, for folk that don't, that don't even have any awareness that they have um, a capability, a hidden skill or a hidden interest. Um, one of the things that we are doubling down on is providing um, career broadening assignments. And you mentioned this, right? Like this is a little bit of a transition. A lot of times supervisors would want to keep workers, you know, like kind of in their, in their organization. And, you know, it, it was more about loyalty and all of this kind of thing. I think that supervisors are recognizing that, um, Part of their responsibility is to enable those workers to go and do greater and brighter things. I, I couldn't be more proud when somebody in my team um, gets promoted into another opportunity because I, I feel like um, they benefited from the experience that they got here. And I think that we are we are um, uh, disseminating that feeling um, through the workforce, through our um, updated uh supervisor training um, uh, um, programs. So, so you brought up this idea of, of, of the pilots and 75% and are accepted. Uh, is this 
a good sign. Obviously, it's a good sign, but talk a little bit about what, what it means and, and how this is kind of opening the door for the future for the Army. Well, I, I mean, I, I this is this is um, culminating in a, a lot of really, really hard work about what do we need our executives to do? Um, last year, um, or I'm sorry, about two years ago, our undersecretary uh, put into place a requirement for all senior executives to do continuing education, right? Because we didn't want people to get stagnant. We don't want people to kind of squat in positions and say, okay, well, I learned everything um, and I'm gonna um, stick around, right? Like that, that leads to atrophy in the organization. We do want civilians for continuity, but we don't want them to just kind of to, to, to rest. So we're, we're seeing that people are, are engaging with these opportunities. They're taking advantage of the career broadening. And so we have people that are able to experience um, civilian service from the headquarters level at the Pentagon, which is completely different from being at a uh, division or a core level, which is totally different from um, being even, even further below. And they bring those experiences back up. So not only are we um, enabling people to circulate within and out of the service and private sector or, or across services, we're also trying to get them to get a broad range of experience because things look very different from the worm's eye view to the bird's eye view. And, and all of those experiences um, get baked into uh, having a leader who is, is ready to deal with the situations that are, that are coming over the horizon. You're still right on, in terms of how things work. You don't understand it until you're part of it and you can't be a part of it until you to get down to that, uh, into the dirt, as you said, the, the worm's eye view. Yvette, we've got about less than a minute left. I'm just going to ask you to close out a little bit and and there's a lot going on with Army civilians uh, in, in the hiring, in the HR world. What's the message you want to make sure people get us as we close our discussion today? So, Mr. Miller, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today about the incredible work that our 260,000 civilians do uh, for the Army each and every day. Um, their work is largely unsung, and they don't always get um, the plaudits that they deserve. And so thank you very much for this opportunity. Um, what I would really encourage everybody to do is, if you haven't already, um, go to GoArmy.com and check out that Civilians tab. Um, that's going to lead you to um, a world of possibilities that you can experience um, in civilian service in the Army. And we imagine that there is the right opportunity out there for you. All right, very good. There's a lot going on. Uh, we can talk more, but unfortunately, we are out of time. So I will uh, ask you all to come back on in the near future so we can talk more about all the, the great work you're doing. But let me thank my guest, Yvette Busico is the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Army for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. Yvette, thanks so much for taking the time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO, Army Workforce Modernization, sponsored by Cornerstone on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 